When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital... This is Bloomberg Sound On. There's a locomotive heading toward Donald Trump, and it's called the indictment cannonball. That he had documents in and of itself isn't a concern. We are just not going to comment on the investigation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The political reality is the more Donald Trump is in the news, the better for Democrats. These are the things that will turn voters in our direction. Talking about Donald Trump is not going to help that construct. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The water gets hotter around Mar-a-Lago. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the Justice Department reveals more information about the search and the documents they found with new accusations that someone may have tried to conceal them from the FBI. We're joined by Donald Ayer, former U.S. Deputy Attorney General, with his expertise on what we learned today. President Biden heads back to Pennsylvania tomorrow for a primetime address to the nation. But can he help Democrats running in the state or around the country for that matter? Bloomberg Opinion columnist Juliana Goldman says it may not matter. We'll talk about her piece today on The Terminal, and we'll hear from our signature panel. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano back together. You've probably seen the picture by now. You've seen the photograph of classified documents strewn across the floor at Mar-a-Lago. Cover sheets on at least five sets of papers marked Top Secret SCI. Sensitive Compartmented Information. The filing makes the accusation that somebody may have tried to remove the papers or conceal them somehow before the FBI visited Mar-a-Lago in June. Former Assistant U.S. Attorney Jeff Robbins telling ABC News today he believes the former president will face criminal charges. There's a locomotive heading toward Donald Trump, and it's called the the indictment cannonball. Robin says it's not just Donald Trump, though, who could end up in trouble. These lawyers face uh, suspicion by the Department of Justice of having uh, engaged potentially in uh, an obstruction of justice, conspiracy, uh, violation of the Espionage Act, lying to the FBI. Okay, now add the Bloomberg headline that broke midday today. DOJ likely to wait past midterms to reveal any Trump charges. 
which would be consistent with longstanding department policy, as I understand. And let's get into it right now with an authority on this. Donald Ayer, former U.S. Deputy Attorney General, former Deputy Solicitor General, now Georgetown Law School, is with us on Bloomberg Radio. Donald, thanks for being back. What is the DOJ policy on not interfering with an election? Is it is it specifically written out? Well, each each administration has put out a memo on the subject, and they they are they're very similar, and they're they're not ironclad, and there's not a mechanical rule. But the okay. basic idea is you try not to interfere with an election if you can, but there's a lot of other things you have to think about. Seeing that photograph today brought this home uh, for a lot of us in a way that reading about the documents in the affidavit on Friday could not. Uh, you saw that today, the cover the, the cover sheets, uh, top secret, uh, some of them uh, potentially containing the most important secrets in, in the United States arsenal here, along with a Time magazine with Donald Trump's picture on the cover. Uh, it's just, a, you know kind of perfect the way the whole thing played out but what did you see in that photograph that well, got I, your attention I, well what well, i mean clearly these are these are uh, classified documents of a very important sort of course we're not able to know and can't know right. specifically what they're what they are um but the volume is incredible i mean we have criminal cases where sandy Berger, for example was prosecuted in connection yep. with one or two documents um, so this is a, a high volume of very sensitive stuff, and the idea that it could be the basis of a prosecution, I think, is very real. The difficulty for those of us on the outside is that we don't know all the specifics. All we know are the, are the things that the, the, the Justice Department has found it appropriate and necessary to say in ongoing interactions with the court that Donald Trump ultimately stimulated. That's the mm. great irony about it. We wouldn't be hearing any of this stuff if Donald Trump hadn't, A, is. announced the search, and B, brought this motion for a special master that the Justice Department's now answering. Uh, and if it, yes, if it weren't for that attempt to get the special master, we would not have had the response filing last night, correct? This has really been directed by Donald Trump's legal team. Well, it's been directed in the sense that they've made it, a request and the department yeah. has to answer it. So, yeah. Maybe not intentionally, yes. Yeah. So we heard from Donald Trump today on Truth Social. Terrible, he writes, quote, this is a direct quote, terrible the way the FBI during the raid of Mar-a-Lago threw documents haphazardly all over the floor, perhaps pretending it was me that did it. Let's stop right there uh, with what you understand, Donald, in terms of the way a, a field team like this would be conducting business. Is that normal to see evidence strewn on the floor? There's a 2A card that they put there to identify the items well i think i you know i don't i don't know exactly how this occurred but but the idea that they were laid out in a way they could all be seen doesn't yes. strike me as peculiar at all and and, okay. and the idea that that there's anything uh, that, that there's a raid here when you look at the basis for this affidavit and for this search and it's perfectly clear that they were as 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 patient as they could possibly be, and they finally reached the point where they felt they had to go in, and the judge agreed, yeah. or there was a risk that the documents would be destroyed or diverted. He goes on to write that in that same post, thought they wanted them kept secret, even though we cannot see in them. Lucky I declassified, exclamation point. That last point there uh, has been debunked uh, many times on the air. Donald, what's your view on the president's ability to declassify information well, without telling anyone about it. 
Well, they, they, there's no way you can do that. And, and there's absolutely no indication that any process was ever set up that would allow him to do it. There's not a record of anything. It's complete nonsense. It's just one more lie by Donald Trump trying to spin the story in a way that's contrary to the facts. And the facts are real clear at this point. And I think this interaction with the court has told all of us pretty clearly what's going on here. And and the Justice Department has done it totally appropriately because they had to make these filings in court. You do see, though, the, the base for a criminal case here. You said that earlier, right? Well, I, I, yes, I do. I mean, I think, I think clearly the, the possession of these documents, if it's willful, and it clearly appears to be willful, is a, is a possible basis for a criminal action. Now, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, we all have to be patient and wait and see uh, what the Justice Department decides to do, because bringing yes. a prosecution is a judgment call. Um, and the thing is that we, we don't know anything but the, the broad outlines of the facts. We don't know uh, what else is going on there. We don't know about the interactions with other people at Mar-a-Lago right. in connection with it. We, mm-hmm. we have a statement in the, in the filing last night that, that it appears that there was obstruction and, and, and the documents were moved. Um, well, there's a story there, and the story there, I think, is an important part of whether they decide to go forward and on what schedule. And likely would bring in other parties, right? We're not just talking about Donald J. Trump. It could be his lawyers. It could be staff from Mar-a-Lago. Well, it could be. It certainly could be others. And, of course, there's the story that's been well reported of, of his lawyer who signed an affidavit who yes. specifically saying, I think, after the January 3rd visit. And we they gave it all to you. Document, yeah, we gave it all to you. You've got it all. Well, they didn't have it all, not even close. In fact, they go back with the search warrant and they find more than they've gotten up to date. So, wow. um, yeah, I think there is that real possibility. Look, I do want to just restate to everyone that we do not know what is in the documents. We have to be honest about this. There's a lot we do not know. But after that story, we started with uh, Donald Air the idea that the DOJ will not file charges if they could before the midterms. That does not mean they cannot after the midterms. Do you have a sense, though, of this type of case could go on for months and months? If if not, talk about this before well, November 24. Well, Are we going to be talking about this before the presidential election? I think we will be. But I also think there's another big issue here. And the other big issue is is the rest of what Donald Trump did, which, of course, is the main thing that Donald Trump did, which was try to steal the election. And so the Justice Department has got to be, they are clearly focusing on that issue, yeah. which is really the big, the biggest thing that he did, I think, although you can argue this is, this is awfully big. So they have a lot to think about in terms of uh, putting cases together that are ready for trial and also how you would combine charges like that and also mm-hmm. the timing on which they want to do it. I would say that there is getting to be a premium on moving with some dispatch, because the process of trying a case like either one of these is going to take a while. Hmm. And I think, you know, I think we're at a point now with halfway through almost the administration where, you know, we don't know where we're headed electorally. And the idea that it's getting to be somewhat urgent to proceed, I think, is something that um, deserves a lot of consideration. Fascinating. Uh, You know, the the first name that came up when a lot of people heard the headline today it was James Comey. I wonder how much his actions regarding Hillary Clinton's emails ahead of uh, a whole different presidential election informed the caution that we're seeing now with the DOJ. Or, or was that a one-off? Was was that the exception to the to the rule? 
No, I think that was I think that was the exception to the rule. I, I think you know many many people watching that at the time knew he was off the reservation when he was doing that. That's mm. not something that that uh, the attorney general, let alone the head of the FBI, has any business doing talking wow. about facts in a case where there are no charges being brought. Right. Um, but I, I think that, I mean I think this Justice Department is proceeding in just the right way and and i and i think the leader of this justice department merrick garland is totally clear about what's at stake here and i think he is he is very concerned to proceed in a way that any reasonable person will view as even-handed and fair but to proceed vigorously and to deal with the fact that something has got to be done. Are we going to see him in front of a podium again? Will will he hold a news conference when enough pressure builds or have we heard what we're going to hear from the attorney general? Well, I think I think when charges are filed, assuming charges are filed at some point, I, I suspect well, that that'll be a heck of a be, day. He'll be in the middle of that. Whether there's going to be a reason for him to come forward before that, I think a lot depends upon this process that we're in the middle of with yeah. the back and forth with the court in connection with this warrant. I mean, he, he got involved in speaking about it because Donald Trump, uh, Donald <laughs> Trump decided to announce that his house had been searched. Well, that's right. And so at that point, this all became public and, and Merrick Garland came forward and explained what was going on. I imagine if we explained. Yeah. Imagine if we still didn't know. If, imagine if Donald Trump didn't tell us that day. Would we still not know? Donald Ayer, great conversation always. We learn a lot from the former U.S. Deputy Attorney General. Just like now, he's with Georgetown Law School and giving us a clinic today on what we have learned. We'll assemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Still no comment on any of this by the White House. And we keep asking one of the first questions at every news briefing at the White House since the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre going through the motions again today. We're just not going to comment on the investigation. Anything, any underlying 
pieces of the investigation, any content uh, of the investigation. This is an ongoing, as you all know, investigation uh, that the Department of Justice, an independent investigation that the Department of Justice is doing. We are not going to politically interfere. Uh, we are not going to comment on anything connected uh, to the investigation, and uh, we're just going to keep it there. Do you think they're not going to comment? Uh, she'll be asked again tomorrow and the day after that as well. The question and answer will likely remain the same. The only person who's answered questions about this is Joe Biden, actually, right? Remember, he said he was not tipped off zero when he was asked at a completely unrelated event. He also uh, you know, made a gesture, rolled his eyes, thought it was absurd about declassifying all these documents without telling anybody. Let's assemble the panel. We haven't had a chance to talk to Rick and Jeannie since the filing last night. Of course, our signature panel is back together. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Rick, when you saw that picture, it just seemed different than reading about it in the affidavit on Friday. Yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to serve in the White House where I got to see those cover sheets from time to time. And the reality is I kind of thought that's what they were looking at. And (laughs) seeing that picture, I thought, holy smokes, it's true. I mean, this guy literally just brought stuff home from the office and and took it down to a, a resort. So. Uh, it, 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 he said he had it. He said he declassified it, which That's you right. know is the, the big question. But the fact that he's admitted to having something that doesn't belong to him is the basis for, I think, this entire investigation. He's admitted that he had these documents. What's your take, uh, Jeannie, having learned as much as we have over the last 12 hours or so? There was more information really in that photograph than we had read so far in in any other of the the sort of news dumps whether it was the warrant or the affidavit that we had a chance to read uh even the time magazine just adds the perfect cherry on top (laughs) that's right you know when merrick garland said some time ago in his press conference that he was going to speak through his court filings i don't think any of us (laughs) imagined how much he meant that and how well they were going to do that and the fact that they asked for more pages and this thing reads something more of like a you know a story or a script or a narrative than it does a legal court filing and they spoke through their words they spoke through the pictures certainly you can't get enough of that uh, time magazine framed uh, covers um and it it speaks volumes and the, the the you know absurdity of this is that donald trump has once again done this to himself and i seldom quote steve ducey from fox news but he said it when he said you know what why did he have all this stuff there it can't be declassified and nobody knows about it i mean these are people who are supporters of donald trump saying this so you know it is bad he has stepped into it and there's literally no defense a private individual which the president is cannot have these documents and he has no legal or factual defense for it as this filing shows Reaction uh, from Republicans, and granted, we're here in the last week of August, there's nobody in town, but reaction's been pretty quiet. You know, we Lindsey Graham has been doing his best to stand up uh, for Donald Trump. Mitch McConnell was asked about it today uh, in Kentucky. How about short and sweet here? I don't have any observations about that. All right. Uh, Ken Buck is the other extreme. Republican from Colorado. He's on Fox News. Listen to... The way he gets to this. I don't have any observations about that. Here's Ken Buck. I understand uh, that that former presidents, former secretary of states may very well have classified information. He may be writing a memoir. He may be writing uh, an autobiography. uh, And uh, the fact that he had documents in and of itself 
isn't a concern. How he treated those documents um, and what negotiations occurred with the archivist, we just don't know at this point. The congressman uh, doesn't think it's it, it's even a concern, uh, Rick, to have these documents in his possession. The cover sheets would argue with that. Yeah, this is a fact that is not debatable. Trump had national defense intelligence material in his home. It is criminal to have national defense intelligence material in a non-federal facility, period. That's the law. So he maybe ought to take a civics course before he runs for office. He is in possession of these documents. That's a fact. That's illegal. He put them into the hands of people potentially who are not authorized to hold them. that's illegal. So, I mean, like when you start really peeling back this layer, it's really not as complicated as it, as, as it seems. And, and one of the documents potentially more may have the identity of foreign agents in it. That's like the crown jewel of government secrets. That's illegal. (laughs) Right. So, um, do we hear nothing? Do Republicans just stop talking about this? Because there was a chorus defending Donald Trump about a week ago. Yeah, look, I think that Mitch McConnell represents the vast majority of Republicans who actually have their heads screwed on right. I mean, Ken Buck, Chris, Christy Noem today, all oh, the feds yeah. planted this material. I mean, right. it's it's insane. Nobody's going to believe them. They're going to lose their credibility, and it makes the party look bad. So if you have those kinds of views, just yeah. shut up. So how about, how about Democrats, Jeannie? Do they shut up, too? Because we still don't know what these documents are. And is it better just to keep your hands off this? Yeah, and can I just add to what Rick said? That's all true. Even if you want to write a book, you can't use that as a the justification. The memoirs are an excuse, huh? <laughs> not, a, not a defense. And, you know, I think Democrats, the White House, are right to stay out of it. When your enemy is clearly shooting themselves in the foot, you don't step into it. So I think they should be quiet. The most important thing I think that this filing did last night was it completely demolished what were Trump's only real defenses, which was yeah. the defense of privilege and declassification wow. both have been shown to be untrue boy that's the take from rick and Jeannie here on bloomberg sound on we're going to bring in juliana goldman as joe biden heads back to philadelphia tomorrow it's next this is bloomberg we rely of course on data here at bloomberg it's bloomberg and so polling is part of our coverage when it comes to politics so there might be one number though that just may not be worth obsessing over any longer it's not like it doesn't matter But as Juliana Goldman points out today, Democrats in Congress and the one in the White House, for that matter, would love to see the president's approval ratings break 50 percent back above water, right heading into the midterms. Then again, she says it might not matter. Is this the new normal is the question. And she joins us now. Bloomberg opinion columnist Juliana Goldman. Welcome back. Your point, I guess, is that this country is so divided that it's impossible to get a real read on that number. Yeah, I mean, that's. Structurally, we may be in a period or an era now where um, presidential approval ratings are just going to be underwater. They're going to be low because Mm -hmm. the country is so divided. And we love data. So in this piece, um, I dug into a lot of data, both looking at historical trends and um, presidential approval uh, polls showing Biden's approval ratings, you know, over the past several months. Um, interesting poll, uh, recently from Gallup. So on the one hand, Biden's approval rating 
um, you know, has ticked up. It's now at 44%. I think it was uh, 39% or below 40 uh, mm-hmm. earlier in the summer. You know, for, that's still historically, you know, not that's bad territory for a president to be in right. um, with his party heading into midterm elections. Um, but that was the the increase was driven by independents. So about 81% of Democrats, um, uh, you know, th- that was from 81% of Democrats, 4% of Republicans approved. That was unchanged <laughs> from June. So when we're uh-huh. talking about uh, Biden's approval ratings ticking up, it's coming from independent voters. Democrats are not going to say, you know, Democrats might say that they um, disapprove of Biden, but it doesn't mean they're going to go and vote for Republicans mm-hmm. um, down ballot. And Republicans, um, it's it, pretty rare, um, like 4%, as we see here, that they're going to say that they approve of the job of a Democratic president. Mm-hmm. Right now. Well, this is fascinating because the, the narrative recently has been about this shifting landscape, right, going into the midterms, that it's been uh, advantage Democrats most recently. And while Dems may lose the House, it won't be by as much, and they likely stand a chance to actually add to their majority in the Senate. So what are you learning about the Democratic brand in your research here, Democratic candidates versus uh, looking at that presidential approval number? Well, so the important thing for for Democrats, right, if you if you look at what um, why the president's party uh, tends to lose in midterm elections. It's because there's dampened enthusiasm. Um, the the party, the the president, the Voters of the party in power just aren't as keen and excited to go uh, to go to the polls. But what's happening here is that in many ways we're seeing the same choice that voters faced in um, 2018 when there was uh, when we saw historic numbers uh, going to the polls. So if Democrats have enthusiasm, if they can get more uh, more of their voters uh, to to turn out. That is good for Democrats, and it helps, um, you know, it, it bucks the historical trend that we've seen tying presidential approval ratings to how Democrats, uh, how the uh, president's uh, party is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond the structural challenges and the divisions that we just talked about, you've got criminal investigations into a former president. Um, you've got far right and extreme extremist candidates on the Republican side. Abortion is a major, major driver yeah. uh, for Democrats right now and guns. And so as mm-hmm. long as Democrats can be having a conversation about this and these issues, that drives a choice rather than this being a referendum on the president. And you see this decoupling between the presidential approval rating um, and, and how Democrats are doing very clearly in some of the key Senate races. So, for example, you mentioned Pennsylvania, where Biden yeah. is heading tomorrow. Um, you know, he's he's not great there. He's at thirty nine. Still in the thirties, yeah. Poll. Um, but John Fetterman is at forty eight percent. Mehmet Oz is at forty four percent. So that that historical correlation is not there. You can see that in Wisconsin and in North Carolina. And in so Ohio. this is why John Fetterman doesn't races. show up in Wilkes Barre, right? It's not going to help him. To have Joe Biden rub off on him on a stage. He's already doing better than Joe Biden. That's right. Yep. How much is that going to be the case across the country based on the numbers you're looking at? Is that going to be a trend where Democratic candidates just would really prefer the president stay at the White House? I mean, I think that's probably fair to say, um, you know, they don't need Biden yeah. there to be, you know, to be 
generating support from um, support from Democratic voters, right? Democratic voters aren't looking to Biden uh, to turn out. It's not the same way that like, um, uh, you know, a Bill Clinton in uh, in 1998. But he's the one with the big list of accomplishments, I thought. Joe Biden had a story to tell. Infrastructure, uh, the, the, the chip bill we got done, where, my goodness, the Inflation Reduction Act. He's the one to take the victory lap, right? He does, but you know what? He's not on the ballot this year, and we're still talking about these, um, hmm. these deep, deep-seated divisions. Um, I thought it was interesting also, uh, uh, Pew Research just came out, with a report um, really showing that Biden isn't a factor um, uh, for for voters. In particular, like he has a 60 percent disapproval rating. Hmm. Um, but Republican voters, 37 percent of Republican voters say Biden is not a factor. And that's up 26 percent from that? March. Incredible. So 11 points. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think I think you'll be seeing um in, in areas where there's strong Democrat support, mm-hmm. um, sure, it'd be great for the president to come and tout the accomplishments. But it sounds like that's maybe, the exception. Yeah, I think that's exception, not the rule. It's great work, Juliana. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. I'll point everyone uh, again to the column on the terminal. Biden is unpopular, but Democrats aren't. You can put OPIN Go in the terminal and you'll find the list of columns, including Juliana's Bloomberg Opinion columnist with us on the fastest hour in politics. Helps a lot to add a bit of data, and it will help more to add the panel as we reassemble our signature panel next. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are with us. We'll check traffic and markets on the way. This is Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Just got details on President Biden's speech for tomorrow. When we say prime time, we mean it. He's going to be talking at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a prime time speech on what the White House is calling the continued battle for the soul of the nation. Independence National Historic Park, Philadelphia. It's not his first time speaking there. It'll be quite a backdrop, and apparently the networks are going to be taking uh, this address. Bloomberg certainly will. At a certain point, you know, 
presidents can run out of favor, but there haven't been too many prime timers. Let's reassemble the panel. Jeannie Shanzano is back with us. Rick Davis, our signature panel on Sound On. We heard uh, President Biden yesterday in Wilkes-Barre, Jeannie. We talked about it as a potential dry run or a dress rehearsal for what we're going to see tomorrow. How does he best use this time in a primetime address? It's just different. People are not used to sitting down at eight o'clock necessarily listening uh, to Joe Biden uh, go on and on. How efficient does he need to be and, and how bipartisan will his message be? You know, I thought his speech uh, yesterday was particularly strong for Joe Biden. I think the message is an important one as we you know, transition to the general election. Um, I do think he is going to try, just like he did yesterday, to make a case that is um, something that is, you know, not directed at one sort of uh group in the Democratic Party, say the progressives, but to try to make a a argument that is more appealing across the board. And that's going to be one that makes the case that democracy is under threat from many quarters, which is appealing to Democrats, Mm -hmm. um, but also to some moderates and independents who are very, very scared about what we're seeing across the country as you move from January 6th to these Mar-a-Lago searches and and otherwise. He is going to have to be careful to not, you know, cross too far into the attacks yeah, but right. he he was strong yesterday and i think we'll see more of that in well, you can't talk about the battle for the soul of the nation without essentially criticizing the other party here right i don't know if you saw this uh, speech yesterday rick he's really he seems like he's really gearing up for this thing and it was a, a side of joe biden where he starts raising his voice that we haven't really seen or heard a lot since the campaign trail. In this case, he's talking about the victims' uh, families from Uvalde, remembering he went down to meet with them. When I was recently in Uvalde, I almost hesitate to say to some of the kids in here, you know what some of the parents had to do? Supply DNA. Supply DNA. His AR-15 just rips the body apart. Could not identify, could not identify the body. A 20-year-old kid can walk in and buy one? DNA to say that's my baby. What the hell's the matter with us? You could hear a pin drop there, Rick. You know that, Joe Biden. You've worked with him uh, over the years. Does that play at a national audience tomorrow? Yeah, look, I think if he can um, connect with that kind of passion and spirit, um, he can't go wrong, right? The the biggest gripe about Joe Biden as a speechmaker is that he kind of, you know, just babbles along and gets off script and, you know, you lose your way along uh, the path of the speech. And this was really clear and really forceful. Yeah. And, and, And even the rhetoric... As grisly as it was, it did leave an impact, as you say, not a not a you could hear a pin drop. So mm-hmm. um, it'll be interesting to see if he can muster that. The last guy who gave this speech was Barack Obama at his nominating conference mm-hmm. convention when he said that our democracy was at risk mm-hmm. uh, in this election. And I suspect he'll take some of the themes that Barack Obama had at the time, which when I think most commentators thought, wow, that's kind of over the top. Is it really? Yeah. And now Fast we've learned. Forward. Yeah, maybe it is. So um, so I, I, I think it'll be interesting. It's it's obviously a different venue. It's hard to have that kind of passion, mm-hmm. you know, speaking from the White House. It's usually much more formal. 
And uh, and yet I think that's probably Joe Biden at his best. Yeah. Wow. Jeannie, it, to Rick's point, a lot of people have made fun of this president, criticized him for the sort of, the you know, the, the low tones in which he speaks. Sometimes the microphones have trouble picking him up. Sometimes he gets lost in his own words. Uh, it goes off script with the ad-libbing, his coughing. It, it, it brings up questions about his age and his competency. Who's this guy? I mean, is this a matter of napping or is it a matter of actually being passionate about what he's talking about? You know, I think it's it's a matter of being the authentic Joe Biden, who we, you know, many people uh, saw in the 2020 election, yeah. who seemed to sort of, you know, uh, be a little bit off track in the first year uh, to a certain extent. And because these are things that Joe Biden has long talked about and actually believes in. And so I think it's, you know, it's an issue of passion. You're right. He does get off track. He goes long. He, you know, he banters and he's he's got to be careful about that. But he's also got to rely on his team for that and I think this is a big test for him this is going to be a peek into the closing argument that the Democrats are going to be making as they move into this really really tough election year in which they're likely going to lose the House and may in fact lose the Senate but they're you know giving it a really good try and he's going to be leading that charge did I say the wrong thing with napping I could use a nap what you know I mean like a good night's rest Rick I mean I'm not kidding I mean don't you it's getting up there in age. What can look, I say? Look, it's always hard on the president to keep his stamina up because they, he's always overscheduled and he's always in demand. And, 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 it's, and it's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to be president of the United States. Absolutely. That, that being said, these are big moments. They tend to be scripted well in advance. You know, the schedule running up to them will ensure that he's at maximum performance, right? I mean, that's yes. the job of the staff to know Absolutely. how to handle that. Don't that overpack said, his schedule the day before and so forth, right? Yeah. And I think the performance side of this, you know, we're going to we're going to know soon, you know, whether or not he was up for this. But I think what's really interesting about this is he's stepping away from the accomplishments. Right. What ran up his numbers in the last couple of months? It's the successes that his administration has had legislatively, by and large. Mm -hmm. And the reality is he's kind of stepping away from that and picking a fight with the MAGA agenda by saying, you know, there's a better way to do public safety, my way. There's a better way to do democracy, my way. I mean, you know, there's a way to maintain the rule of law and and MAGA isn't it. And so if this is going to be a big contrast between the soul of the nation and MAGA, I really, I'm curious how he'll weave in what has actually been successful. Right. I, I think if you want a speech to give on the eve of the the fall election, you, you talk about what you've been able to accomplish that people actually yes. are giving you credit for. I'm guessing we're not going to hear in, in the battle for the soul of the nation about the CHIP Act tomorrow. Jeannie, am I wrong? No, you're right. And, and it's a really important point Rick makes. I mean, it doesn't sound, at least what we're hearing, like they're going to be stressing this list of, of really important accomplishments. That said, I think what has struck me is the fact that he, you know, at, for a long time, he was sort of trying to ignore Donald Trump. Now we see Joe Biden in the administration saying, OK, he's taking up the oxygen. We're benefiting from it and we're going to use it to our advantage. We're going to tell you how extreme he and his followers are and how we represent the all important middle. And I think we're seeing the Biden administration embrace Trump, much to the dismay of Republicans who want to win in these purple districts. And so I'm curious to see how they keep making that case. We saw it last night. I think we see it in Philadelphia again over, you know, on Monday. Is is primetime a good move here, Rick, just in general? Eight o'clock at night. Is that the way you talk to the American people these days? We ask the same question ahead of the primetime January 6th hearings. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's still the best way to get, you know, an active audience without the filter of the media, right? Okay. I mean, you give a speech during the day and the media filters it. And by the time anybody sees it, you're reading about what the media thought about the speech, not the <laughs> speech itself. And so, yeah, he wants to go direct to the public. And, and it's a way to create some excitement. In the past, a lot of networks haven't carried these speeches. Right. And so there hasn't been a reason to do it because, you know, if you're not going to go on TV and do it, then then maybe not. But I guess what I'm hearing is, He's going to get coverage. He's going to get coverage from the networks, indeed. Uh, I have to admit, Jeannie, I was surprised to hear that. I thought this would be a cable news event tomorrow night. But he hasn't worn out his welcome yet. I don't know how many of these you get before they start pushing back on the White House. But with that in mind, you don't want to wear out your welcome. Does this need to be a half an hour or less? How does he deal with the time he's been given? I think he needs to make his point. I need, think he needs to, you know, be very careful about the time. That is the staff's issue. And you're right. You know, there's also the line that they, he has to be careful that this is a presidential address and not a campaign speech. Yeah, um, that's you know, a fine as, line. Yeah, and, and I just also have concern. You know, we just started the semester. I speak to students. Um, you have a son. These young people don't watch a lot of TV. So True in enough. the past, you know, primetime speeches got tons of eyeballs. I'm not so certain if you're trying to reach younger people people in particular they're watching that much tv anymore even worse than what rick said you know instead of having the media talk about it in sound sound bites for us old people they're <laughs> going to have it cut up on tiktok by the time uh the, the, he's back in washington rick that's a whole other problem for campaigns to deal with not that this is a campaign speech but that's part of the issue when you're trying to communicate yeah it's create the event and then reprogram it for every audience under the sun most people will actually see this on their phone and small yes clips. right and, and so those moments within the speech are really critical, right? Absolutely. And then the, the moments are what he's going to have to deliver on, like he did with that clip that you just played a little while ago on Uvalde. So uh, that's all part of this performance. Uh, and the, the technicians will, you know, cut and paste this thing in every social media uh, forum in the world. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, the world is going to be listening to this speech because they see crazy stuff happening here in the United States. I mean, Donald Trump claims he's going to retake the presidency next week. And, and foreign leaders scratch their head and go, what the heck is going on over there? And so it's not just a political audience that he's trying to address, but he wants to make sure that when he shows up at the G20, people don't like get close to him and say, hey, have you guys gone completely crazy? Wow, these are incredible times we're living in. Wouldn't you be wanting something without Rick and Jeannie? They help us make sense of it all. Our signature panel on Sound On. We'll meet back here tomorrow, right before the speech. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. 
Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash Sustainable Biz Singapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash Sustainable Biz Singapore.